Welcome to Urban Born Northwest with your co-host Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. Uh, it's a uh, the year is almost over, but uh, this program is going to play on New Year's Eve, so we want to wish everybody a happy New Year's. Really want to uh, wish a happy New Year to my first guest, Congressman Sanford Bishop, who represents the second uh, congressional district in Georgia, Southwest Georgia, which includes Columbus, Macon, and a couple of other cities. And he's also a stalwart member of the Congressional Black Caucus. I've been seeing in Tunica, Mississippi, a congressman many times at the Mississippi Policy Conference and at the CBC for the last 10 or 12 years now, sir. And now that uh, with the passing of Congressman John Lewis, you are the dean of the Congressional Black Caucus out of, uh, uh, out of uh, uh, Georgia. So is that all yeah. the congressmen? Correct me if I'm wrong. I am the dean of the Georgia delegation. You are the, the dean of all of them. Okay, that's great. Because you got elected in 1993, and you also spent some time. Why don't you just take a couple of minutes and share with our listeners a little bit about your background. You served in the House and the Senate before you got to uh, Congress. Oh, thank you very much. And first, thank you so much for allowing me to uh, to be on the program with you and to share with your, uh, your listening audience. Uh, I am uh, Sanford Bishop. I... Uh, have now been serving in the Congressional, uh, in the United States House of Representatives uh, for now 28 years. Uh, before that, I was a practicing attorney, a civil rights attorney, and uh, I was a member of the Georgia House of Representatives for, uh, I guess, uh, 14 years, and a member of the Georgia State Senate for two years. And in 1992, I ran for Congress, was elected, and I was uh, um, uh, sworn in in, in 1993. I've been a member of the House of Representatives uh, in Washington uh, since 1993. So you went in with Bill Clinton? Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, I remember I went to his inauguration. Well, that's great. Now, why don't you share with our listeners like uh, some of your priorities? I know getting, getting this election straight is number one, but uh, in terms of the committees that you serve on and uh, what do you think we have to do once we get this election mess squared away and get... Uh, uh, 45 out of the White House. What are some of your priorities? Well, let me just say that uh, from the time I ran for the legislature, uh, the State House, State Senate, and through Congress, I have uh, uh, sought to use the legislative process, the political process, to improve people's lives uh, through uh, jobs in a strong economy, better education, safe communities, a clean environment, affordable, uh, accessible health care, a strong national defense. And uh, that has been my my goal, and I have done my best to do that. And, of course, I, I now serve on the Appropriations Committee, and I learned in Political Science 101 at Morehouse College uh, that politics is nothing more, nothing less than who gets what, when, and how. And, of course, I tried to do my best to get a position in Congress that would help me to uh, be at the table and, and make decisions about who gets what, when, and how. And the Appropriations Committee, uh, which is the check-writing committee, uh, is the committee that I was able to, to get, get access to. And, and uh, I've been on that committee now for over a, a decade. Uh, I now chair the uh, Agriculture Rural Development Subcommittee uh, of uh, the Appropriations Committee. I'm vice chairman of the Military Construction Veterans Affairs Subcommittee, and I'm a senior member of the Financial Services Subcommittee of Appropriations. So I am there to help allocate the uh, 
the almost the trillions of dollars that uh, we appropriate uh, in federal funding uh, for the operation of, of the federal government. And uh, that's a very impressive list, but I guess you, you've been there so that, that seniority really does pay off. And uh, so you're in very, very key positions. Now, I want to just, before I go to my co-host, Hayward Evans, I just want to ask you about uh, this uh, election shenanigans that's going on now. And uh, then we want to talk about what is this going to do to the uh, senatorial elections in, in Georgia? Well, let, let me just say that uh, we were very, very elated that uh, on November 3rd, two and a half million Georgians uh, join millions and millions of people across the country, uh, voters who uh, elected Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, uh, president and vice president uh, of the United States. Uh, that is, is significant. Uh, it is something that uh, we work very, very hard for, something that the country uh, and the world really needs. Uh, we've got so many bad uh, things going on uh, currently. Uh, we've got uh, thousands and thousands of uh, people who are in food lands uh, because they can't put food on the table. Uh, thousands of Americans are dying every day from uh, COVID-19. Uh, we've got, uh, uh, I guess, uh, millions of families uh, that are uh, on the verge of being evicted from their homes. Uh, a lot of businesses are folding, and uh, state and local governments can't fund uh uh, their police, the fire, the first responders, uh, and even their teachers. Uh, and, of course, uh, the Senate has sat on the sidelines for, for seven months and, and refused to pass the, the life-saving relief uh, for families in the communities uh, that, are, that have been down and out. Uh, fortunately, uh, uh, they do have something coming, uh, although uh, President Trump uh, fiddled and fumbled and failed and uh, finally signed uh, uh, the much-needed uh, relief bill, but it's too little, it's too late, and it's too lean to really uh, adequately address the requirements of, of this pandemic. Uh, so uh, we've, we've, we've got a, a lot of challenges, and because of that, uh, people have been very, very uh, engaged all across the country, and particularly here in Georgia. Uh, right now, uh, we are facing a runoff uh, for two Senate seats. Uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were elected, uh, but um, uh, that alone won't get us where we need to be as a, as a country. Uh, and so our job is not done, uh, and obviously our work isn't finished because we have an opportunity uh, to uh, elect two uh, Democratic senators uh, from Georgia, uh, Raphael Warnock, who is the, the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church, where Dr. King uh, pastors, and John Ossoff, who was a very, very dynamic, up-and-coming uh, young man, uh, they both uh, ended up in runoffs against uh, the Republican incumbents. Uh, the Senate balance now is 50-48, uh, 50 Republicans, 48 Democrats. Uh, and Mitch McConnell, uh, as the leader of the Senate, uh, has really, really uh, done a, a terrible job uh, in, in defeating all of the positive uh, progressive uh, legislation that the House, uh, where we have a majority of Democrats, uh, has passed. Uh, and, of course, unless uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris can, can, can get 
these two senators, it's going to be increasingly difficult for them to carry out their agenda to build America back better and to crush the virus, to heal our, our country and to and fix the economy. Uh, so unless we elect uh, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnack, um, we, we're going we're gonna to have a Senate that keeps killing uh, this good legislation for, for health care justice, for economic justice, voting rights justice, environmental justice, uh, justice in policing. So we've, we've got a, a real, real challenge facing us. But, you know, the, 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 uh, the eyes of the world are on Georgia. Uh, and the eyes of the nation, of course, are on Georgia because we truly can make the difference. And I think the people in Georgia recognize that and uh, have uh, really uh, uh, turned out in record numbers. Uh, and we are, we are very pleased with the numbers. Uh, un- normally, in a runoff, uh, the turnout is very, very much reduced from the general election. Uh, however, uh, while there is a drop-off of 21% of the early voting so far, uh, there's, there's been a total of uh, 2.566 million people who have already voted. And uh, of, of that number, um, 55% of them were white, but 31.3% are, are African-Americans. And uh, that is, that, that's an extraordinarily high turnout uh, for African-Americans to be 31.3% of the total of votes. Uh, in the general election, but certainly in, in a runoff. And so uh, our people are, are concerned, uh, are coming out to vote, and uh, we're excited. All kinds of activities are taking place. There's a lot of energy. Uh, there are Zoom calls. There are uh, emails. Uh, I must get, uh, I guess, about uh, uh, 40 or 50 emails a day uh, from uh, people wanting to remind me to vote or to get others out to vote. Uh, to mail in the ballots, uh, to make sure that they are dropped off at a drop box, or to make plans to early vote, or to make plans to, to vote on, on the day of the runoff, which is uh, January 5th. So people are very, very much excited, very engaged, uh, because they realize what's at stake here. Uh, the future of our country is at stake. You know, I, I want to let our I, listeners I, know that you're listening to Congressman Sanford Bishop from the second uh, congressional district in Georgia. He is uh, the dean of the congressional delegation in the, in the state of Georgia. I want to see if my co-host Hayward Evans has a question or a comment for you. You know, uh, Congressman Bishop, first, thank you for being here with us today. With everything going on in D.C., number 45, talking about how elections are rigged, and then with uh, Mitch McConnell holding back that money, how do you see that impacting the elections there in Georgia? I don't think it's going to impact the election in Georgia at all. Uh, people are determined. Uh, they're going to vote come hell or high water. Um, of course, uh, what, what I am seeing is that uh, there are some uh, uh, dejected Republicans uh, who uh, uh, have, have bought into the initial uh, uh, statements that the election was rigged. So some of them uh, have, have uh, decided not to vote. Uh, but, of course, I think it's going to be a, uh, a very, very heavy turnout. I think the, the election is going to be close. Uh, but I think that it's going to be very, very competitive, and I think we have an excellent chance of pulling this out uh, for Democrats in both of those seats. So I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm excited. 
Uh, I feel the energy. I see the energy. And uh, people are serious about it. You know, being, being on the, uh, the House Committee, the appropriations, is anything being done now for transparency to audit where all this money's gone? Because I've been hearing things about, you know, number 45's family receiving a pretty substantial amount of that money. Well, one of the things that uh, we did when we passed the COVID relief uh, uh, bills, uh, we created uh, an oversight committee. And Congressman uh, Jim Clyburn of South Carolina, who is the uh, highest ranking African-American in the uh, House of Representatives, he's the third highest uh, person, ranking person in the House of Representatives. He's the majority whip. Uh, he is in charge of that oversight committee. Uh, and their job, and they are actively working and uncovering uh, various uh, uh, information that uh, is shedding light on how the money is being spent or misspent. Uh, so uh, we are very much uh, uh, interested in holding uh, the executive branch accountable uh, and accounting for all of these funds. Uh, the purpose of it was really so that when we did further relief, uh, we could see where the uh, the pitfalls were, where the uh, the, the uh, mistakes were being made, uh, so that those could be corrected uh, as we go forward. And that that committee is actively engaged. Uh, uh, they've re uh, received a lot of obstruction from the administration. And I believe last week uh, Congressman Clyburn issued some subpoenas uh, to make sure that they can get the information uh, they have requested. Uh, so that there can be full transparency and the American people uh, can see uh, how this money uh, is being spent. But can number 45 uh, pardon everybody, including himself, his family members, everybody who might have got some of that money? Does he have the authority to pardon himself? Uh, I, have, I, I do not believe that uh, any man has the authority, uh, any president would have the authority to pardon himself. Um, that would certainly uh, make him uh, uh, just about God. And uh, he is far from that. Uh, I believe that uh, the criminal, the uh, Department of Justice, I believe our Constitution, uh, will not uh, be interpreted to allow uh, a president to be able to pardon himself. Uh, what about his family? The pardon power is pretty much unlimited with regard to others, but... Uh, there has never been uh, an instance where an individual uh, in the position of, of uh, president of the United States, uh, as far as I know, uh, a governor uh, has been been uh, able, uh, has exercised uh, that power in a way to pardon him or herself. Congressman, I want to thank you very much for your time today. And uh, I'm going to encourage people that have relatives in Georgia, make sure you call them no matter where you are, because this uh, broadcast does go around the world. So we want to make sure that everybody that has a right to vote, vote for the right people in Georgia on January 5th. So, sir, thank you thank very, you much, very and much, and we'll be in touch. Now I got your phone number. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so very much. And we appreciate the, the interest and the support because people from all over the country are calling into Georgians, uh, urging them to vote. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, calling that's being done from outside of the state, uh, which is very helpful to remind friends and relatives and neighbors uh, to, to be sure to vote, to make that plan to vote. So thank you very much for, for airing this, and thank you for all that you do.
Okay, sir, I just want to let you know that Seattle is in Martin Luther King Jr. County now. All right. Okay. Thank you very much, Congressman Sanford Bishop. We'll be talking to you soon. Thank you. All right. We're going to take a quick break and come back with our next guest after this. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxhops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Alternative Talk, 1150 on AM, 98.9 HD3 on HD, 1150kknw.com on the web. Back at Urban Forum, Northwest Hayward Evans and Eddie Rye. Do we have Congressman Hank Johnson on there? Good to be with you, Mr. Rye. Hey there, and my co-host is Hayward Evans. Uh, Congressman Hank Johnson, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. Yeah, we just talked to uh, your colleague from the 2nd District, uh, uh, Congressman Sanford Bishop, and uh, he was very inspirational, like you always are. And uh, he's on uh, a couple of committees that we need to have uh, uh, some participation, like the, fin- the House uh, Financial Services Committee and appropriations and stuff like that. And then you keep them straight on the House Judiciary Committee. That's where you get your fame from, setting your, your, your members of your committee straight. So, uh, Congressman, why don't you just, uh, you know, you've been on before, but this, uh, I want the listeners to know a little, just a little bit about your background. And I see that you and uh, Congressman Sanford Bishop both, both with the HBCUs. I think that's important for our people to hear about. So why don't you just take a minute or so and just give our listeners that uh, don't know you that well a little bit about your background. Well, well, thank you, uh, Mr. Rye. I'm, I was born and raised in Washington, D.C., when D.C. was Chocolate City. And... Um, and I went through the public schools of Washington, D.C. I never had a white person that uh, matriculated with me in grades kindergarten through 12. And the first uh, opportunity that I, I had to uh, get some schooling with a white 
person was when I went to Clark College in Atlanta, Georgia, back in 1972. I left Washington and came to Atlanta. Uh, we had one white guy that was in school with us. He was on the football team. And, um, and then after I matriculated through that HBCU, it's now known as Clark Atlanta University, I went on to Texas Southern University, the Thurgood Marshall School of Law. And um, that is a HBCU as well. And that was my first occasion to, to understand that there were Latinos in, the, in, uh, in America. So about 40% of the class that I graduated with were uh, Latinos. And uh, so I'm very proud to have been able to uh, leave law school, open up my own private practice of law, practice criminal defense law for 27 years before I uh, won election to uh, the United States Congress, and I've been in Congress now for the last 14 years, getting ready to start my eighth term of office, and it's all gone pretty quickly. Uh, life goes real quick. I'm now 66 years old, but I feel like I'm I'm still, you know, in my 20s or something. And uh, but uh, it's good to be on your show. It's good to be able to have a position to serve the people of the country particularly uh, the underserved, and uh, my folks, black people, have been, uh, you know, great examples of being underserved citizens, and so uh, I get great joy of, uh, out of representing uh, all of the citizens of Georgia's 4th Congressional District. That district is the, uh, comprised of the eastern suburbs of uh, Atlanta, Georgia, so we are pretty highly educated group of uh, people in the 4th District. Most most folks have uh, at least some uh, degree of college. I've got about a 60% majority African-American district, and um, it's, it's urban and suburban and uh, also some exurban and just a small bit of rural uh, area that I represent in the 4th District. So it's a great district. Looking, looking at uh, reapportionment and redistricting coming up next year, so we'll see what I end up with uh, in terms of who I'll be representing uh, in the uh, next session of Congress. But I'm happy to be on your show. I've been on your show a number of times, and I know how hard you fight for the underserved, Mr. Ra. Well, thank you very much. My co-host, Hayward Evans, also is we're shoulder to shoulder in the fight back here in Seattle. Martin Luther King Jr. County and in Washington State, so we're we're definitely doing that. Now let's let's talk about we uh, you know the the biggest election I guess of the century is coming up, January fifth, and what is your prognostications? What does it look like to you for uh, the Democrats to take control of the Senate? Well, I tell you, I just left uh, early voting location. I went ahead and cast my vote today, uh, and. Um, there was a lot of uh, activity going on, lots of people there. Uh, the people were happy. Uh, they seemed to be activated and energetic and uh, on a mission to turn Georgia blue again on January 5th, next Tuesday, when we have the opportunity to elect two United States senators and change the course of history uh, in this country. It's real ironic that uh, 
black people in Georgia have turned out in a greater degree or percentage of the vote compared to the general election on November 3rd. So in other words, uh, X percentage of uh, the vote on November 3rd was black, and that that X factor has increased. So our percentage of the vote uh, in Georgia black people means that uh, things look pretty good for uh, the Democrats. Uh, I think all the indicators are that we're going to win these two Senate seats. And by doing so, we're going to get rid of Mitch McConnell, the Grim Reaper, and we'll get rid of his graveyard where all House legislation has been assigned to as he has been the leader of the Senate. And we can start passing some legislation and uh, in the House and getting it through the Senate and on into uh, the hands of President Biden, uh, who, along with uh, Vice President Kamala Harris, are poised to take this nation in a new and more positive direction. And so I'm looking forward to the future, looking forward to getting these votes uh, out of the way on January 5th. Early voting is going well. I think we're going to have a record uh, turnout. We're going to have a record uh, runoff election in terms of turnout in Georgia. It's already, I mean, we we had a little bit shy of 5 million people who voted in the November 3rd election. We already have 2.5 million Georgians who have cast votes in the runoff election. And, And you still have... 600,000 absentee ballots that have not been uh, um, received and accepted by the secre- by the uh, voting officials yet. So people are still getting their absentee ballots in, and most people are dropping those off in the drop boxes, in the official drop boxes. They are not uh, putting them in the mail. They're putting them in that in those drop boxes around the uh, counties. And uh, those votes are being collected and counted. And uh, so I feel good about uh, what we're looking at in Georgia on uh, January January 5th. I want to see if my co-host Hayward Evans has a question or comment for you, Congressman. Congressman Hank Johnson out of the 4th Congressional District of Georgia. You know, Congressman Johnson, first, thank you for being on the, on the show again. I'm going to go back to my old question. Can number 45 pardon himself and his family? And then I want to ask about statehood for D.C. They, they earned statehood. Yes, certainly. Uh, uh, and good to be with you again, Mr. Evans. And tell me, your first question again was what? Uh, can You're on the Judiciary Committee. Can number 45 pardon himself and his family before he leaves off? Oh, yeah, I, I think it's pretty clear that he can pardon his family and he can even try to pardon himself but uh i don't think a self-pardon is going to hold up in the courts because one of the fundamental principles of jurisprudence is that you can't be your own judge and jury you you are just not above the law in this country and so for a president to be able to pardon himself would put 
uh, uh, the president above the law. And uh, so I don't think it would um, I don't think it would hold up if he tried to do it or not. And uh, your second question was what? Uh, statehood for D.C. Statehood for D.C. has been well earned. I remember when uh, I was growing up and my daddy would uh, wait until the last minute to get his taxes in, to get the family taxes in. He'd be working on the kitchen, on the dining room table until uh, 1145 on, Jan on April the 15th every year. And then he would scramble out of the house and go deliver the tax uh, return to the post office in Washington, D.C. And, um, you know, we pay taxes. And uh, the people of Washington, D.C. continue to pay taxes, federal taxes. They pay local taxes. And they have a right, they should have a right to have a vote in Congress. It's about 750,000 Washingtonians, people who live in Washington, D.C. That's about the size of a congressional district. So the people of, one, of Washington, D.C. should have a uh, representative in Congress who votes on all legislation, just like every other congressperson. And they should also have two senators just like every other state. And there are some states in our country that don't have as much population as Washington, D.C., but yet they still have two United States senators and one uh, uh, representative for Congress. And the people of Washington, D.C. deserve that, and uh, we're closer to that happening now than uh, at any time in our nation's history. And I look forward to that perhaps becoming a reality next uh, next session of Congress, because it doesn't take a constitutional amendment to create a new state. Congress can create a new state with a vote. And so we can we can turn D.C. into a state with a vote. And uh, I want to ask you uh, about one other thing. Uh, about a federal designation for African descendants of United States enslaved. Now, we know that in the department, in the federal government, they have a DBE program, which allows a special treatment for white women. Okay. So I'm saying presidents has already been established, but you would think that we talk about reparations, everything else. While we discuss reparations, if we had that federal designation, with opportunities, contracts set aside, I, uh, quotas. I have no problem saying that because that means black folks get the money and the contracts. Is there any possibility uh, when the uh, uh, President Biden and Kamala Harris takes office, is that something the Black Hawks is willing to support a federal designation for African descendants of United States enslaved? Well, I think, I think that... Uh, the Congressional Black Caucus will be very much interested in um, in the issue of reparations and um, uh, uh, and HR 40. It'll have to be reintroduced again. Uh, and I think that what we're going to have to do, as far as a special designation for African Americans that would allow a carve out of federal uh, contracting for for black people based on race, uh, we're going to have to change the makeup of the Supreme Court. 
which has ruled that race-based decision-making insofar as uh, contracts and other activities are against the Equal Protection Clause of the United States Constitution. But it's all right for white women to have it, though. Well, you know, as long (laughs) as it's not race-based. Well, well, they say say women and minorities, and they're referring to white women. And if you look at the participation in Washington State, 80% of the federal contracting dollars went to white women who are DBEs, disadvantaged business enterprises. So I'm saying is that seems to me there's a good argument. If white women could be, have a special category, how come the people who's been here 400 years and built this joint for free can't have one? Well, it's not just simply white women, but it's women. If you look, if you check the records, you'll see who's getting the money. If it's a minority Uh, woman, she's counted as a minority. Well, well, I have no, I have no doubt that, um, (laughs) that the white women who qualify as disadvantaged business enterprises oftentimes have white males who are actually uh, in charge of those companies. And unfortunately, we have uh, some instances where we have black folks who are running for white folks and getting business under the disadvantaged business enterprise. And, uh, but what we, I agree, that what we really need is to bring is to bring black folks up to uh, some degree of uh, parity uh, mm-hmm. because we have been shut out based on our race, based on the fact that we're black. We've been shut out of federal contracting opportunities, and so therefore, we should be. There should be. It makes sense to me for there to be a set aside uh, for black-owned uh, enterprises. Without there having to go through white mean, males. That's where the killer mean, comes. They always want you to go through yeah, white males yeah. who are opposed uh, to you. That's why we don't have a number of black businesses and contractors right now because of the racism and discrimination. So anyway, before we go, any, Congressman, any, I want to want to thank any, you, any, say any, Happy New Year to you and Ms., Mrs. Uh, uh, Johnson, and hope you have a prosperous new year. And uh, I've, I've been pursuing this uh, designation for African descent United States enslaved with Congressman Waters, Karen Bass, Emmanuel Cleaver. So I'm gonna try to touch up all the CBC members to see if we can get some justice because uh, we have black troops around the world right now defending what? Voter suppression, denial of opportunity. So we got to come to grips with all that. So thank you very much, sir. We appreciate your time. Thank you for having me and happy new year to you and happy new year to your listening audience. And I'm going to tell Angela that you got vaccinated because she's opposed to the vaccine. I'm going to let her know that you and Congressman Sanford Bishop got, got, got the vaccination already. Yeah, no doubt. I'm, I'm urging everyone to uh, go ahead and get the vaccination. It's much safer than subjecting yourself to, uh, to COVID-19. You got uh, that right. So happy New Year. Right and thank there. you very much. Thank you. Have a, have a happy New Year. Okay, check with Eric to see if we have uh, Dr. Rayburn Lewis on the, on the line. He's on. Dr. Rayburn Lewis, Eddie Ryan, Hayward Evans, co-host of Urban Forum Northwest. And Dr. Rayburn Lewis is the chair of the Central District Community Preservation Development Authority, uh, will be known as the McKinney Center for Community and Economic, uh, uh, Community and Economic Development. And uh, since he's the president of the board, 
Uh, we would like to have him on at least once a month to keep an update because Shadi is going to be on every other week anyway. So giving us uh, programmatic details. So uh, uh, Dr. Lewis, why don't you uh, uh, share with our listeners a little bit about what's been accomplished to date. And we only got about 10 minutes. We're going to have you on anytime you want to, though. But go right ahead. And uh, am I coming through clearly now? Oh, yeah. Yes, you are. Go right ahead, sir. Great, great, great. Well, great. Just thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to, to speak on behalf of the of the community, and I wish uh, everyone has has had a, uh, a safe and healthy uh, start to the holiday. A happy Kwanzaa and uh, and a New Year's that uh, hopefully will be better for all of us in 2020. Uh, I'm going to basically uh, give you a little bit of history. I'm the president of the Central District Community Preservation Development Authority. I'm a retired physician that uh, worked with uh, Swedish for most of my career. And uh, we have a great board. Uh, the the uh, authority was uh, announced on uh, June 24th of this, of this year. We are a public uh, a public corporation chartered by the state with the objective to preserve the unique character and history of the Central District. Obviously, long recognized the historical center of the South of the Seattle uh, African American community. And uh, with the obviously major changes that have gone on in Central District, we're part of a remedy to uh, to uh, preserve and then also revert, reverse some of the negative impact of the change in population uh, and the loss of uh, jobs and housing in the in the central area. Uh, our aim is to preserve and restore the historical and cultural contact uh, character of the. Uh, of the community. Uh, to support this mission, the, the PDA has begun to restore the building known as the Seattle Vocational Institute. And uh, while restoration improvements are being made, the criteria for selection of building occupants is also being developed. The third and the fourth quarters of 2021 are targets for our first tenancy. Uh, there, are, uh, there are 13 board positions. Uh, and 11 of which are filled at this time, and there are four standing committees. Uh, and I'm going to give you the, the, who the board members are. I think it's, it's, a, it's a great background as to who was chosen and why we were chosen, and I'll bring you up to date as to where we are. Uh, the board members include uh, uh, Vice President Gerald Bradford, who's a reentry manager for Renton Technical College, uh, Secretary Sade Moore, uh, who you have already mentioned, uh, who with with Amazon Web Services and has been great at organizing the MLK organizing coalition. John Yasutaki is our uh, treasurer. Uh, Dr. Ben Danielson, uh, who is well known in the medical community and the black community for his leadership at uh, Children's Hospital, and Odessa Brown. Odessa Brown. Hayden. Yeah. Patricia Hayden. Uh, with the, the YWCA, Kelly Jefferson, who is an owner of the owner of KCD Trucking, Carver Gayton, uh, Dr. Gayton, a retired educator and community leader, Reverend Dr. Phyllis uh, Radcliffe Beaumonte, associate minister and chairperson at, of history and archives at Mount Zion, Jacundi Salisbury, founder of C Spot Media, uh, Louis Rudd, president and CEO of Ezel's. And of course, uh, me as well. So you can see this is a wide, 
spectrum of uh, those who had long-term experience in the Central District. Uh, the, uh, the coalition, the McKinney Coalition, really was the group that pulled together our bid uh, for this uh, in response to the state legislation. And the McKinney Coalition put together a, um, a, a selection committee that nominated the board and pulled it together. And as I said, we were announced uh, just six months ago. I want to give some special thanks to some folks who've done work up until now and to getting us started. Um, uh, Eddie, you and Hayward Evans uh, were great ambassadors for the year or so before, along with Lynn French, who was the contracted um, entity with, uh, with, this, with the Commerce Department in pulling all this together and getting, us, getting to the point where we actually have our board and have gotten us going. So thank you to you and, uh, and your colleagues for getting things going. So where are we now? We started, uh, as I said, in, in June. We elected board officers uh, in late August. We passed our bylaws in late August, and then the really the hard work really begun because that was the time that we actually became uh, a true authority and committee. Uh, in the meantime, we've had the opportunity to take advantage of <clears throat> the relationship we have with a sister organization, Historic South Downtown Preservation Development Authority, who, by the way, that is the other PDA that was uh, founded under the same legislative act uh, about 12 years ago. And because of their familiarity with uh, regulations and such, and have worked with the same people in the state and city and county that we have, we took advantage of signed a contract with them for a year's worth of executive uh, leadership in it. And, uh, uh, and, and while we're looking for a permanent executive uh, for the organization. So that was a, a big, big piece. We put our committees together. I will tell you that the two most important committees and the ones that are, are, are doing the, the uh, shouldering a lot of the work and will also require, by the way, a lot of community input are our, uh, our governmental affairs. Obviously, we have had the opportunity, again, thanks to Lynn uh, French and to Hayward Evans and to Eddie to have started and hit the ground with uh, $1.35 million of uh, an allocation appropriation from the state uh, sponsored by Sharon Tomiko Santos, Representative Santos and the 37th District and of many allies down in, in Olympia. I will say that the legislation and the appropriation was passed almost unanimously and it was a just a great job for you folks to pull all that together. Uh, we had 1.35 million uh, plus an additional $200,000 that the city of Seattle was uh, able to allocate to us, uh, thanks to uh, then president of the city council, Bruce Harrell, and the council. And so uh, all of those funds have gone into startup and getting us going and doing some of the initial needed repairs on the building. We have a great relationship with the previous owner, Seattle Colleges. Seattle Colleges has given their technical business and uh, engineering expertise to help us work with the existing contractors in the building. 
uh, as th- there were several uh, pieces that needed to be done. We have scheduled uh, work on the roof, the uh, which will start as soon as the uh, as we get through this winter. The uh, uh, sixth floor HVAC. We've got other spots in the building that require a significant amount of upgrade. And now that we have some money going forward, uh, we'll move towards that. Now you 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 recognize that 1.35 million and 200 thousand dollars is not a lot lot, considering that the overall estimates for cost of bringing the building up to modern standards is between 26 and 29 million dollars, and that was uh, from a study done by Seattle Colleges about uh, about that was published about two to three years ago. So that's the scratch. Dr. Lewis, uh, we're running out of time today, but I know one thing, the next time we have you on, I have a lot more time allocated for you because this is one of the the projects that a lot of people in the community are keeping an eye on. And this is a project we want them to keep an eye on because we're going to need their support uh, to get the appropriations that's necessary to have a first-class facility. So I got your your secretary coming on next, and I want to give her a time. But like I said, we're on every Thursday, and you're welcome to come back and give us an update whenever you like or anyone else you designate. Shadi has been the main spokesperson for the CDCPDA, and she does an outstanding job, as you well know. So you have a safe trip, and I'll see you when you get back. And let's just get together and chart out some time when you'd like to come on and what you'd like to present, how much time you would require, and we can go from there because this is a very important project for the African-American community. So thank you very much, sir. Happy New Year to you and your family. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, uh, Eric, we're going to take a break and come back with Shade and Bobby. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity of Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community, and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.ctacshops.com. Why sit in bumper-to-bumper traffic when you can hop on Link Light Rail and fly by the gridlock? It's a smoother, easier, stress-free way to get where you want to go. Whether you're heading north to Capitol Hill and the University of Washington or south to Columbia City, Tukwila, and the airport, Link Light Rail will get you there quickly and safely. And if you have an ORCA card, even better. Just tap on the yellow card reader when you get on and listen for the beep to let you know your card has been accepted. Then tap your card reader again once you've reached your destination and listen for the double beep to let you know you've tapped off correctly. To find the closest Link Light Rail station or to learn how to get an ORCA card, just go to soundtransit.org and type Link Light Rail into the search bar. Sound Transit's Link Light Rail. Just another way that Sound Transit is powering progress. Alternative Talk 1150, the talk of the sound. 
Happy New Year to you, first of all. But uh, Sade Moore is uh, uh, the chair of the Seattle uh, Martin Luther King Organizing Coalition, the sponsors the Rally March, Opportunity Fair, the youth program every year. And uh, this year is going to be different due to COVID-19. And I think she had her cohort, uh, Attorney Bobby uh, Alexander, on the line with you. Happy New Year to you, Bobby Alexander, Attorney Bobby Alexander. How you doing, Eddie? Okay, well, look, we don't have we don't have to really extend this to next week because we really uh, had a few problems in terms of uh, running over time. But anyway, uh, so why don't you go ahead, Shadi and Bobby, and then we'll we'll read. Let's see, we got five minutes, so next week we'll have you back on to go into more detail because the MLK event is very very important and very near and dear to my heart. So go right ahead, both of you guys, and let us know what's going to be happening, and we can follow up next Thursday. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Bobby because Bobby is controlling our program and our youth event. And those are two humongous events um, that are going to be a little different this year. So, Bobby, do you want to give an update to the community on what we're doing? Yeah, absolutely. We'll start with the youth event. Uh, I think the March and rally, the only thing that's going to be really different this year is that the entire event, is going to be outdoor, but once again, it will be an event that has speakers, that has song, uh, that has spoken word, et cetera. So that, that really won't be too much uh, different. However, this year our youth event is going to be online. It's going to be virtual. And what we've done is we have had our youth interns, which we hired for the first time ever in the history of our coalition, as far as I'm concerned, or, or NOAA, we've hired two, uh, two actually high school-aged young black women to put together a film that broadcasts essentially the thoughts, beliefs of young young people right now during this time uh, that deals with how they feel about COVID. And, and as we know, 2020 has been crazy. So it's really interesting to hear what young people think about uh, all the events that have happened in the world, the George Floyd, et cetera. And we just wanted to step into their minds for a second and put their opinions out there since so often we focus on people who are already established. So that's what's going to be different this year, and that is actually going to be broadcasted uh, or streamed on Rainier Avenue Radio's website um, the day that we would normally have the youth event, which is the day prior to the MLK March and Rally. So that's what we're going okay, to do. Okay, here, here's what I want to do, guys, because like I said, we, we don't have – I want to have uh, both of you guys put it on your calendar for next Thursday, uh, January 7th, 2021, from 2 to 3, and we'll have adequate time so you can go into more details because we're just talking about 11 days after that is the actual event. So uh, yeah. I will set aside half the program, Shadi. I would like to get with me. Let me know who else we, uh, Hayward and I should be interviewing about the MLK event. And we'll dedicate the next two Thursdays to, to that purpose, okay? Yeah, that sounds good to me. Okay, then. All right, well, I'll be back in touch with both of you guys. So thanks very much. I want to give uh, some shout-outs to some of our supporters. Uh, I want to thank Port of Seattle's Diversity Contracting Office, me and Rice, Happy New Year. Sound Transit, uh, Leslie Jones, Tim Callahan, Beverly Cobbs are here, uh, John Tay Robinson, the new person on the block, Happy New Year, City of Seattle Personal Construction Services Office, Liz Alzier, Mark and Jesse in her office, Concourse Concessions out at the airport, things we hope pick back up soon with Dave Fukuhara, SeaTac Bar Group, LLC, Jerry Whitson and Rod O'Neill, they have the African Lounge at the Mountain Room Bar out there. I know you guys haven't been doing much business, Hopefully, this new administration will take care of the COVID problem, and we won't have any problems. So this has been Hayward Evans, Betty Rye. Want to wish everybody a happy new year. Hayward, you got a shout out for him? 
Happy New Year, everyone. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. Goodbye. 20 All right. Happy New Year, Eric. We appreciate your, your engineering work, brother. <laughs>